Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. This is episode 319 of the Girls Gone Wild podcast. Hello. And I had Froze yesterday and it was amazing. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> I didn't realize it was Froze. It's such a cute Fro- name. Isn't it a cute name? It's Frozen Rose. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I just called it a wine slushy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was good, right? It was delicious. My initial reaction was thinking that it would be way too much, like the ice to wine ratio was, I was a little concerned about, but it was delightful. It was. It's like, I know, it's we kind of like, the, when I say the good ice, everyone knows what the good ice sounds like. If you yeah. crunched up the good ice into the perfect consistency, that's what it tasted like. But if the good ice was made out of rosé. Exactly. I think that's the key, That's the key is that it's not like a snow cone, which is ice where rosé has been added. Like the, the, the iciness is made out of rosé. Right. I'm so glad you got to experience that. If I sound a little bit different, I am back in the old school podcasting room. Scott is um, working on or he hired someone to do some drywall today. And so they're out in the living room. I came home and there's like noise everywhere. I'm like, I can't record in this scenario. You have to leave. Don't you know I have work to do? <laughs> What's going on? What a drywall are you getting done? So we know? had an we had an AC unit installed and so oh, they're covering right. up where the swamp cooler was. So they're just there was like this huge hole with a grate where the swamp cooler came in. So they're just patching all that up. And then we had like a couple other things moved around that had big holes in the walls, so they're just killing all the birds with one stone Fair enough. but not killing Except animals not, sorry no right, there's <laughs> well and because there's an actual bird nest outside your house that they in fact are decidedly avoiding yeah the central air ac unit workers last week were like oh we can't disturb the bird nest there's like this bird nest right above where they were installing it and they're the cutest little bird family. I was like, please take good care. Do not disrupt the bird family. Like the the mom birds like off in the corner, just like, don't you dare mess with my family. Nice. Yeah. Nature uh-huh. is cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. So okay. we have, I feel like we need to kind of like, everyone needs to sit at their desk and grab a pencil and paper. And we're just going to run through, <laughs> this is going to be like a one topic episode because I feel like this article that you sent me last night. We could probably do an entire course. I think review. we could do a whole pod- like a whole separate podcast. Yeah, just about this just concept. this article, and and I was like, how are we going to cover all this? So so buckle up, uh, settle in, yeah. get some notes, grab a cup of tea, right. sit or down if, like if you can. You, you don't take no- notes like Joy, then yeah. just do your thing. I so like paper. By now. It will be Thursday. Today is Monday. But I mean, hear this, it will be Thursday. And mm-hmm. you will likely have seen this somewhere on the internet. It's a New York Times op-ed piece. And it is basically about the concept of the wellness, quote unquote, wellness industry. And how wellness is basically just like... It's encouraging key- an obsession with food and bodies. So it's, yeah. it's by Jessica Knoll. And she is an author of a couple novels. She wrote The Favorite Sister and The Luckiest Girl Alive. So she wrote this article and... It's it's called Smash the Wellness Industry. Yeah. So if you have not read it yet, you can pause the podcast and go to our Facebook page. And we posted it on Sunday night. um, And just read the article. It's really, really good. And immediately I read it and I was like, I have to send this to Joy right away. Mm -hmm. And so I... I read this when Claire sent it to me, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, she put into words everything I've been feeling on the inside and didn't know how to express on the outside or was afraid to say. It was one of those moments where everything she said hit so spot on that I was like, she she's something special first and foremost, and she just completely labeled and named everything that I've been feeling on the inside and put it on the outside, which is so one of my favorite things to do as a person is like, once you kind of feel those rumblings on the inside, once you can kind of like name it and then start evaluating it, a lot of healing can happen. So it, again, like Claire said, it's through New York Times, Jessica Knowles, the author, Smash the Wellness Industry is the name of the article. And the uh, it says, why are so many smart women falling for its harmful pseudoscientific claims? If you're okay with this, I would really like to just kind of go like par- like start reading it and analyzing it because I don't care how long it takes. This is really important discussion. That sounds great. Okay. Let's do it. Let's start out by giving a quick summary so that people don't feel like we're just throwing them into the deep end of right. this article. Sure. Great. So the 
Yes. This is like the English major and me being like, hold on. I love it. And I also want... a Socratic seminar. Yeah. got to summarize. Right. And so do that. And then I also want really quick before we dive into it, I want you to talk about your first, like your initial reaction, because I'd love to know like what... And just your initial reaction, not exactly your thoughts about the points just yet, but like what resonated with you when you first read it. My first thought was blank. Send it to Joy. Very broad strokes. This article is basically a commentary about how... The diet industry has become normalized through the quote unquote, by quote unquote branding it as wellness, by branding it as quote unquote wellness. And that restrictive habits and, you know, just our thoughts being constantly overtaken by this obsession with the perfect body and loving our bodies. And at the end of the day, it's still driving home that health equals thin, being thin and that, you know, it's, there's still the same issues that we've been dealing with this whole time. And that now it's still the same exact problem that we thought we've always had. We're just calling it by a different name and that's well, quote unquote wellness. So she makes a lot of different points, but that's generally the the main theme. My initial reaction to it was also kind of like, okay, finally, somebody's put this into words. I, you know, and I think the, the, The thing that I appreciated about it most was being able to hear it articulated in a way that was separated from my personal experiences. And I think that's where we've had such a hard time and we've really been tripping over ourselves in the last year or so trying to articulate this is that we very quickly get wrapped up in our own experiences and our own baggage that we have from the things that we've experienced. And, you know, it's like, I feel like we you know, talking about macros is very, I mean, I hate the word triggering, but like talking about macros is very triggering for you. Talking about people, you know, being afraid of getting quote unquote bulky is very, again, don't like the word triggering, but I'm just going to use it triggering for me because I have a hard time. You know, I don't have that. I'm of a very petite body type and I'm like, I would love to get bulky. You know, it's like we all have a lot of our own you and I both have a lot of baggage around this. And so I think it's been hard for us to come up with a succinct way to articulate what we're trying to get at, which is that, hey, we know we are a podcast that's smack dab in the middle of this wellness ocean. Yeah. And we're trying so hard to like create our own little island in the middle of this crazy ocean. And, you know, we're like to try to say, hey, we've been there. We've done that. And we're starting to come out on the other side and realize, wow, that was just as harmful as any other obsession in this arena that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was made to believe that it was in the pursuit of health and wellness. And so to hear, to read this article and hear someone else articulate it in a way that is separated from my own personal experiences was just very illuminating. And it was like, yes, that's what I've been trying to say. And that's what I haven't been able to quite land on because I get tripped up over my own experiences too too quickly. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Is And we can only speak from our own experiences. We know so many people have a wealth of knowledge and different experiences that it's really hard for us to kind of speak in a way that we feel like hits with a lot of people. And that's what I think she does so well. And I think the other thing too is like, you know, every single person reading this article is going to bring their own baggage into it as well. And every single person hearing this episode and listening to our podcast ever is going to bring their own story into it as well and overlay your story on that content. And that is your right to do that. And we, we want you to do that. And I think, and I think that if, you know, you read this article and feel really uncomfortable with the quote unquote wellness industry, I'm going to stop saying quote unquote, with the wellness industry being called out and you feel defensive, stop and just think about what is it that's making you feel defensive about that. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I have been worried about saying and talking about is, you know, speaking ever speaking in absolutes. I don't think we should ever speak in absolutes. No, for sure. And, you know, even to the point of like last week, you posted something about how a new study had shown that my fitness pal was implicated as a leading leading contributor to people's to a lot of women's eating disorders. eating disorders yeah and we had a comment from somebody that was like okay but i had binge eating disorder and i can't intuitively eat like intuitive eating is not something that my brain you know i have this true problem and i you know i have used my fitness pal to teach me what healthy eating actually looks like and i just think like there's a million different 
There's always going to be different experiences like and different ways. You know, we're yeah, not speaking I, to. Yeah. We're not speaking in absolutes. We're not speaking in absolutes. And this, the, again, this is our experiences and our take on this. And I, I'm not saying that as a disclaimer because I don't ever feel the need to you know, disclaim what we're about to say. But I just say that f- from a place of if you read this or hear anything they're about to say and it makes you feel defensive, just stop and ask yourself, why am I feeling defensive about this? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe ask yourself a little bit more about that. Okay. Because you know, I tell mean, me more. yeah, tell me more about that. And I think especially with my own personal experiences and reading this, of course, I'm the reason why it resonated with me is because I had such emotional and still do I'm not out of it ties, I have emotional ties to the fitness industry. And so of course, when I'm reading this, I'm like, this resonates with me because I've been there. I've felt that. So, okay. Are we ready? Is everyone ready? All right, starting from the beginning. She says, a few months ago, I had lunch with the writer behind one of my favorite movies of the year, the agent who made the deal and the producer who packaged the project. I wanted to hear all about the process and perhaps find an opportunity to collaborate. When the server came to take our order, I flashed to that scene in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. When Mira Sorvino walks into a diner in a striped skirt suit and asks the waitress, do you have some sort of businesswoman special? Had there been any sort of businesswoman special that day, our group probably couldn't have ordered it. Someone was slogging through the Whole30 program. Someone had eliminated dairy. And someone else was simply trying to be good after a bad weekend. The producer said it didn't matter how good she was. She had lost the baby weight, and though she may look tolerable in clothes, under the spanks her stomach was a horror show. The writer said she had so much cellulite on her thighs she looked diseased. I gazed around the restaurant, longingly wondering what the men eating cheeseburgers were talking about. At one time, I too would gleefully have torn myself apart. I despised my body, and my devotion to changing it amounted to years of unpaid labor, starting with a bout of bulimia in high school. In preparation for my wedding, I worked out twice a day on 800 calories. Like... This is Joy speaking right now. Like, how many people have you heard, like, the wedding day diets? Back to the article. From there, I moved on to counting macros, replacing rice with cauliflower pellets, 13-day cleanses, intermittent fasting, and an elimination diet that barred sugar, dairy, and nightshades like potatoes. Every new regimen ended in the same violent binge. I'd wait for my husband to go to bed so that I could obliterate the pantry without him asking, Are you okay? For the next few days, I would throw myself on the altar of clean eating only to start the cycle all over again. I called this poisonous relationship between a body I was indoctrinated to hate and food I had been taught to fear, quote unquote, wellness. This was before I could recognize wellness culture for what it was, a dangerous con that seduces smart women with pseudoscientific claims of increasing energy, reducing inflammation, lowering the risk of cancer and healing skin, gut and fertility problems. But at its core, wellness is about weight loss. It demonizes calorically dense and delicious foods, preserving a vicious fallacy. Thin is healthy and healthy is thin. I feel like that is a good... So that's the opening couple of paragraphs. Yeah. Maybe like the first quarter, third or quarter of the article. And I feel like... So and we can go on. We can... You know, we'll talk more about how she, throughout the article, explains how she's sort of come back from being in that mindset. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I was reading that, I just... I feel like most women who have read this and probably many men as well really see themselves in that scenario. And in that description, I mean, how many times have you sat at lunch with your girlfriends and just sat there and been like, Oh my gosh, you know, I barely fit into these pants this morning or like the baby weight thing, you know, that comment definitely hit close to home for me. And like, you know, that, It's just conversational. And I remember a couple of years ago, there was this thing that went around about complaining, where it was like a lot of people complain conversationally. And and I don't, I forget if it was like a blog or Hmm. what, but there was this challenge that was like, put a rubber band on your wrist. And every time you complain, switch the rubber band. And you're not snapping the rubber band. You're not doing, you're just, it's just Just an exercise. Just switching it back and forth. It's just an exercise to bring awareness into what you're doing. And this kind of reminded me of that, of like, I think a lot of women we just conversationally tear our bodies apart. It's something, you know, even like being postpartum, one of the the number one comment that I get from people who I'm not close with, ironically, is you look great. You you know, you've really, it looks like you've really lost a lot of the weight, you know, capital W, the weight. Yeah. And the weight, the weight. And, you know, I'm not offended when they say that because I recognize that they don't have anything else to say, which is weird. 
And like, they wonder, I wonder people too think that that's what you want to hear. Like that's what you exactly. want to comment they, on. They like think you it's what I want to hear. made it to the other side and look yep. how good you look and right, my face whatever, whatever. Well, somebody was like, your face is so is not fat anymore. And I was like, wow. Who said that? Who says shit like that? Well, and it's also sort of like, listen, at the end of the day, the size and shape of my face, I would hope, is not what defines me as a, like, I'm the same, you know, like here. Okay. So I'm going to skip forward a little bit to what I personally sort of, because I was, I already had been thinking about this this week and then this article came out and I was like, okay, I got to talk about this because last week in my birth fit class, I've been doing the birth fit postpartum series, which I really love and I would highly recommend. And Brienne, who's the, um, who's my chiropractor, who's the gal who puts on, who's putting on the series. She had us do this like thought exercise exercise where it was like, okay, you know, think about a belief you have that is holding you back from enjoying the present moment. And, you know, a lot of times we really get caught up in this thought process of like, well, I'll be happy when, and this is something we've talked about in the podcast before. And the first thing that came to my mind was like, I'll be happy when my body, you know, looks quote unquote, the way I want it to. And we've talked about this on the podcast recently too, that I'm like, I just feel uncomfortable. Like, and that's fine. That's all valid. I'm not trying to tell myself that those feelings are not valid. But now what I'm trying to think is like, where are those feelings coming from? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell myself like, no, 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 you're not allowed to think that like, you know, you should love your body. Like, you know, accept it the way it is because feeling those feelings of, well, I don't love my body right now. It's totally valid. But the next part of the exercise was like, okay, what is the belief that, you know, you'll, I'll be happy when X and I'm paraphrasing. This wasn't the exact exercise. So she's listening to this. She's going to be like, Claire, that wasn't the question. Um, but, and my thought was like, my assumption or my belief is I'll be happy when I look like I did before I got pregnant with miles. You know, I'll be happy when I weigh 130 pounds again. I'll be happy when I'm... And there's that number, which I know a lot of... I just have to say this to you, like as a disclaimer, I do want to say a disclaimer. A lot of eating disorder podcasts really um, discourage using numbers for anything. So I just want to say that too, of like, if you're kind of talking about your life in numbers, just be very aware of that because that's really can bring up a lot of emotions for people. And that's really kind of what the scale does is it makes you focus on a number. Well, and I think like when I really dig into it, it's like, okay, that... What I'm what I'm looking for is to get back to a time in my life or get get again, arrive at a time in my life where I feel like I am able to prioritize myself. And that if I can focus on that, that's what I want. And that feels like a healthy thing, you know, a healthy goal to have. But when I think about that automatically, where I go is, well, that's when I, you know, weighed this amount, had this back squat, had this snatch, had this like you know, pant size. And what I'm really remembering is a time before I had kids where I could work out five or six times a week and I felt really good and I had a lot of energy and I was sleeping a lot and I was eating really well and like eating, you know, quote unquote eating really well. I was eating at regular intervals. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, but so for this, for me, I was already in that mindset of like, okay, how can I be more present and conscious in the conversation around my body to appreciate what I have now. And so then when I read this article, it was like there were a lot of light bulb moments um, around sort of some stuff that she describes about, you know, her realization. Well, I also think it's like, what is the entry point? What has been, uh, this made me think a lot about what's the entry point of when we entered the wellness community or the wellness industry. And for me, I think about starting the podcast and Instagram. Instagram is really kind of what put it, in the forefront of my brain is that constant scrolling and the constant pictures and the constant beautiful models, and the constant whatever, whatever. And so I think back, I'm not trying to be like, oh, back in my day, but truly when I was growing up, I would see magazines. Magazines was like your way of kind of seeing beautiful images. And then of course, like Facebook was kind of like that, but it really wasn't to the extent of like the constant photos of perfection that you see with Instagram. So that's kind of where I would say if I want to kind of, I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm going to say like blame something, it would be the introduction to the wellness industry for me was like truly Instagram and seeing that you know, hey, if you do this diet, you can have these washboard abs. And what I came to realize was that if I want washboard six pack abs, I have to live in a state that I'm so miserable and that I've lost my period. True fact. That is like, that is what I need to do to maintain that type of body. And for people to 
effing put that out there like it's attainable and achievable and like, wow, look how great you're going to feel is a bunch of BS. So I, I just think it's really important for people to like thinking about all this is like, what was your entry point to this wellness industry? So I don't want to just read it. Verbatim. No, 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 no. She yeah. goes. So she goes on and she talks a lot about like her work career and how she had to move to LA and she had to start working with a dietitian because her dietitian she was she was miserable and she's like this cannot be the way that people are are living. Um, so she talks a little bit more about how she started working really truly with the woman who who co wrote Intuitive Eating. <laughs> she started working with her. One of the most important things that I think really felt like it hit home was, was when the dietitian or I'm sorry that yeah it was a dietitian oh no 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 she said she talks about how intuitive eating has been around for decades but she's like people really really truly don't understand what that means so I really would encourage people to go back to that book intuitive eating because it really is a great book but she had taught she's talked about a dietitian that she had seen in New York City who was like she was talking to her dietitian. And she said, I love food. I've always had a big appetite. And the dietitian was like, um, you're a small person. You don't need a lot of food. Like a dietitian told her that. So it's kind of like, again, do the research of who you're going to talk to and what advice you're going to take. But not, I mean, to her defense, when you're, when you don't know, and you don't really know a ton about diet and exercise or what health looks like for someone, you're going to just take whatever people are saying as truth. So back to my whole thing of like, if you're going to listen to an influencer, that's one thing. But if you're going to talk to an expert, talk to an expert and know what information where your information is coming from. Um, But this poor thing was just like, uh, okay, so now I feel bad that I have a big appetite. So then when she fast fast forward, when she moved to LA, and the dietitian was like, Oh, what a gift to love food. Like what a gift. And that one punched me in the gut. Because to like, think of your appetite as a gift is like, pretty freaking amazing. And here's what I always, here's what came up for me immediately was like people, you know how I always talk about how I love people who cook and I like wish that I could be, I I admire people who cook. I know that has to come from like some deep seated fear of me just being around food and being like, oh, I can't cook a meal because what if I, I think I asked this on a freaking episode podcast before. It was the Chrissy May, I totally remember this. I asked Chrissy May Cagney, we were talking about this and I was like, I just- was like. Years ago, years ago, we but this like, Chrissy, like five years ago. But here's it was in the podcast room, and I said, oh, "I just I wish I could cook, but I'm always afraid I'm going to eat it all." And she's like, "Well, just don't eat it all." And I was like, "What?" Like the fact that I was afraid I'm afraid of my own appetite is pretty sad. That's like so sad that it has come to that point. So to look at, I think there's a a part of me that's like admires people who can just like cook and eat. But I I know there's like a flip side of people like to be in control of their food. But like, what a beautiful thing to honor food and to honor appetite and to like when you're hungry throughout the day. I don't know if you've ever like been told this on any of like, you know, I this I was told this back when I was counting macros is like, if you're hungry, you just need to work through that. Like you just need to like drink more water or whatever the fuck. And I was just like, I was taught to that hunger is bad. Yeah. And I think even still, like there's so much, th- so many things out there. They're like, oh, you're craving whatever. That means you actually need. Yeah. Such is such. it a craving or is it hunger? Is well, it a craving wanna, or is it hunger? Okay. So here is one, one thing that I saw that I loved. And it was like, if you have to go to the bathroom, you don't tell yourself, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm just bored. Oh, I'm just thirsty. Oh, I'm just tired. You go to the bathroom. Hunger is, is, your body telling you you need something the same way that going needing to go to the bathroom is your body telling you need, you need something. Why do we second guess one and not the other? Because. Like, you have to pee. Oh, no, you're just bored. And yeah. because the diet industry would just go under if, like, all this right. stuff really was whatever. Yeah. So the next kind of part was about, you know, she goes to find intermittent, you know, this not intermittent fasting, this intuitive eating. And I also want to say here that I feel like we lately have, I feel like, in, quote, unquote, intuitive eating has blown up. The concept of intuitive eating has blown up, but I feel like it still is not super well understood by most people because I think most people hear the term intuitive eating and they're like, well, if I were to intuitively eat, I would go eat a cake and I would basically I would binge. I would be afraid that I would binge. And but that's and yeah, I get when people say that. But then here's the thing is I if you haven't read the intuitive eating book, do not respond with that answer and say, I don't know how to intuitively eat. There are plenty of very skilled professionals who have written about this. Please go educate yourself. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that we can explain what intuitive eating means to you. 
do the research, read the books, talk to professionals about it, because it is not something that you can just gain from a podcast. It's not something you can just gain from an article. I don't think she, even in this article, she doesn't go into what intuitive eating is. She talks about it at a very basic level. So I know people throw that around a lot. I've seen a lot of people do podcasts about it. I think it's kind of crap, to be honest with you, because it really does a disservice to what it actually means. And quite frankly, I think if you are struggling so much with that term, talk to a professional, talk to either an eating disorder therapist, or talk to a dietitian, or work with a dietitian, like work with someone who can hold your hand through it, because it is not something I don't think you really can self teach it. And I don't think you can just gain the knowledge by working by listening to a podcast or, a, or, you know, even listening to the book, like if you feel like even then it's still difficult, like, get some professional help around it. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so she goes on to talk about intuitive eating and, and working with a dietitian to learn intuitive eating skills. And can I read one line really quick that yes. I loved too? Yes. <laughs> she talks about um, she worked for two years with this intuitive, or I'm sorry, this dietitian. And she's like, food's a part of my life. My body looks as it always has when I'm not restricting or binging. I'm not good one day so that I can be bad another, which I once foolishly celebrated as balance. And that one was another one where I was like, oh, foolishly celebrating balance, like saying this whole people still do this. I see it on Instagram. I see it on people we follow who are like, well, I'm I'm going to hold back and I'm not going to drink this day or eat this this one day so then I can, I don't know, make up for it when I go on vacation. And I'm just like, that's a horrible way to live. Like, live your damn life. Because that, to me, is a, a restrict and binge. And while we can put it in a fancy bow all we want, that's what you're doing. And that's what you're influencing people to do. And putting good and bad labels on food and calling it balance. So I think there's one other line that a lot of people have been quoting from this when, I, when I've seen it posted. And I think it's because it's really also calls out a good point, which is says the wellness industry is the diet industry. And the diet industry is a function of the patriarchal beauty standard under which women either punish themselves to become smaller or are punished for failing to comply. And the stress of this hurts our health too. I think that for me also was a not necessarily like a aha moment because I know that, but just to hear it just like stated so succinctly was like, I just had this moment of being like, yep. Yeah. Like, you know, we really like at the end of the day, when you see people who are claiming and touting wellness, they still all pretty much look the way that yep. we've all been conditioned to think we should look. Yes. Not all exactly. of them. Definitely not all of them. There right. are a lot. There are people out there who are breaking the mold. And I think that's awesome. But I think a lot of them still are that, you know, thin toned, tan sort of thing. And so, yeah. Okay, so the the last part that I really, really, really took away was her talking about loving her body. Mm -hmm. It says, most days I feel good in my skin. That said, I am probably never going to love my body, and that's okay. I think loving our bodies is not only an unrealistic goal in our appearance-obsessed society, but also a limiting one. No one is telling men that they need to love their bodies to live full and meaningful lives. <laughs> we don't need to love our bodies to respect them. And that was like this the biggest light bulb. It was like a floodlight of light bulbs where it was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been needing to hear. It's not like you need to spin your wheels for your entire life trying to reframe your relationship with your body so that you can say you love it. Like that's what I've no. been trying to do. And I think yeah. like that's where I've I been I think a lot of women have been doing this. I saw a dietitian actually posted this a while ago. So she must have gotten that from her whatever. But it is like that is like it's not a prerequisite to moving on in your life. You don't have to get to this end point. Like you may never get there. And you just have to get along. And I think like, I've been thinking about that lately too, where it's like, okay, I think I posted something or said something in an episode a couple weeks ago about, you know, it's not, you don't have to, maybe I posted, I reposted something about this on Instagram. It was like, you don't have to love your body in order to love yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to always love your body in, or in order to love yourself. But I still had in the back of my mind that like, okay, Yes, but the goal is still loving your body. Like that's this, you know, this goal that like everyone needs to be working towards and that's where my energy needs to go. And like when I arrive at loving my body, I will have made it. I can, you know, go like lay in a bikini forever. Right. I can work on my bikini body, even though I wear a bikini for like one week at most like five days a year, five times maybe a year. And yet I'm still like, oh my God, I'm going to look so weird in a bikini. Okay, cool. For like the 10 hours a year that I'm in a bikini. Right. 
problem. I think we and, all look weird in a bikini because we don't yeah, wear it every day. <laughs> right. It's, a, it's, it's underwear. It's water resistant. It's like quick dry underwear. And I think for me though, having, you know, reading that part that's like, I may never love my body and that's okay. It was like, hey, that's okay. Like, let's release that. Let's put it in a bubble let's, and blow it away. Ah, uh, guys, mm-hmm. let's just release it. Let's, let's just put say, that in a bubble. You know what? Put it in I a respect, bubble. I respect the hell out of my body. Blow it away. It It is doing a literally incomprehensible amount of tiny, tiny things right now to keep me alive, which yeah. is amazing. And it's, it's amazing. objectively insane that it works. It's and none of us works. should be alive. And I made two other humans in my body, which you should never have happened. They two ca- beautiful, healthy humans. Yeah, they came out of a hole that I sometimes get a tampon stuck in. Like, how? <laughs> how? Was it an organic tampon? Because those Oh my suck. God, they're so scratchy. Just get out. <laughs> Just get out. And I think, it, I mean, okay, tangent though, like there was at one point I was, when I was in, before I was getting pregnant with Miles, at some point in my recent, not not too far uh, long ago life, I did. Yeah. I like was trying to get a tampon and it really hurt. And I was like, how is a human supposed to come out of here? This like <laughs> tiny tube of cotton can't fit in. Okay, anyway. Yeah. The point yeah, is, yeah. it's amazing. But how does yeah. it work? It, I it's don't amazing. know. So I can respect objectively that my body is amazing and that it does amazing things and that it's a you know marvel of magic and science without l- absolutely being in love with it. Yeah. I can respect it and I yeah. can appreciate what it does, but that doesn't mean that I have to love it. And that's so, it feels so freeing. Like I don't have to just like have this unconditional love for every single part of my body. And here's what that gives me permission, personally, permission to do. Stop okay. permission thinking, slips yeah, stop thinking about it all the time. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing is I equate yeah. things that I love with things that I'm constantly thinking about. I love my children. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly thinking about them. I always am thinking of things that I want to do to make them happy and how my life choices are going to affect them. I love my friends. I love Brandon. Like, you know, I love mostly people. I love, yeah. you know, places and activities. Like, and I'm always constantly in some thought process around those things, whether directly or indirectly. Being told you don't have to love your body allows me to release my body as something that I always have to be in thought around. And that you have to yeah, plan which around. Is awesome. And make decisions around. And and the thing that I, as you were talking about that, I was like, you know what? The diet industry and the wellness culture really loves that we're getting set up to fail by that belief that you have to eventually love your body. That loving your body is this path, this yellow brick road, and that their products, their workout programs, their meals are going to get you to the end of the, the yellow brick road. That's what's but at there, the end of the yellow brick road. There is none. You know, like yep. there isn't there. That does not exist. Like there is There's no, no destination, destination no. of that. And so we've been fed these lies and beliefs that we that if you take this or if you do this or if you do this right path, then you are going to get to this wonderful place eventually. And even the people who are in the photos who probably look quote unquote perfect don't believe that about themselves. So it's all just kind of this yeah. like we're just getting well, set up to fail. We're getting set up to fail. That's another thing that I, I saw something, another like quote recently that said, you know, if you look at a picture of yourself that at a time when your body was different and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I hated my body then. Like I, you know, that's the body I wish I had now. That's your proof that it was never about the way that you looked. That's your proof that this is this, you've been indoctrinated to believe that you're never going to be good enough and that you have to always be so true. Because like, again, I think like now I think I will be happy when my body is the way it was before Miles was born. But you want to know what? Before Miles was born, I was sitting here thinking I need, you know, I need, I'm still... Yeah. I need to lose weight. I need to be leaner. Const- I need to be stronger. Yeah. I need to be faster. Like fill in and, the blank. Right. You know, I even recently too started thinking about the shift from, well, I stopped worrying about how my body looked and started focusing on on what it could do. I think that is another ideological fallacy that is fed to us to mean like, Hey, look, just focus on what your body can do. You're going to feel so empowered. Okay. But guess what? What happens if your body stops being able to do what it used to be to do before, or you, you know, from something basic, like an injury or whatever, or because you're getting older or because you haven't, you know, like a chronic illness or a disability 
and or, I mean, just any number of things, all that's doing now is mm-hmm. tying your your sense of worth. You're being told, here, tie your sense of worth to this other thing that you can't really control. And that, right. you know, you may be able to make improvements on for a short period of time, but eventually something else is going to come in and take over. And, you know, at that point, you're basically like, it's just another metric at which by which to measure yourself that you ultimately over time are not going to be able to keep increasing. Right. And, you know, and so I think it's just like you, yeah, that you don't have to love your body thing was huge for me. And I also, and I also think the, the the implied, you know, message. Yeah. The like sub, you know, the message of that, the underlying, that's what I'm looking for. Underlying message there. Thank you. We were were almost there. I was like sub under Marine, submarine underlying. Um, So my brain works is that, you are not your body. And I feel like that's something that we really assume about ourselves is that I am my body. I am tied to the way that my body looks. My self-worth is reflected by what I look like. And I am, instead of turning it the other way and saying my body is the embodiment, is the embodiment of my values and of my lifestyle and of my choices and it is the outward outward representation of the things that I find important. We turn it around and say, you know, I am only important if my body looks a certain way. And even that, like, as I'm saying that, I'm like, but I even think that tying your body and saying like, oh, my body is the outward representation of what I find important is dicey. Because again, in our world, we are meant to think that, well, here are the things you should find important. Mm-hmm. Looking a certain way, being active, you know, it's like, quote unquote, wellness. Again, here we are back with wellness. You're supposed to find that important. And if you don't, and if you do, your body's look a certain way. And that, you know, is like your, what's what I'm looking for? Like proof, you're, you're, it's validated that this is like your thing. Yeah. Well, it's like a relationship. I was thinking about this today too, because I knew we were going to talk about it is, it is so much like a relationship. We have, we We can't just, I don't know one person really that doesn't have some kind of issue or conflict with eating or exercise. And it's like, it's on the, somewhere on the spectrum, right? It's, it doesn't have to be really, really severe, but it also doesn't have to be completely non-existent. I feel like there's a lot of middle ground and there's a lot of people who see magazines and like, gosh, I wish I looked like that. Like we all kind of have some type of baggage around that and especially from how we were raised. But I was thinking about this today in terms of like, then we have to engage in this relationship every single day with all the messages that we're fed and we're kind of expected to just flail along and deal with it. And, this takes a lot of work, which is why I always encourage people to like, you can't just think your way through this. Like you have to kind of work on it. Every single meal is building a relationship with your with your body. Every single meal is, re- is building a relationship with food. Every single meal is making a decision. Like what is your thought process when you're about to eat? What is your thought process when you have to eat? I'll tell you mine. Sometimes I get anxious. That is real talk. I still get anxious because I'm like, what if I eat too much? Like, okay, like I have to talk myself through these things. And so, or what if I choose the wrong things to eat? Or what if I have a glass of wine? Like all of those old beliefs, like is really kind of silly when you kind of think about it. And I'm not trying to just kind of pass through my stuff, but that's just an example of like, we have to really, really name this for what it is. It is a relationship. It is a complicated relationship and we cannot just bypass that and think that we are going to fix it through some pill. Like if you think about your marriage, you have to, you have to water, we have to tend the garden with our marriage every single day. We have to make sure that we're connecting with our partner in some way, shape or form. We have to really nourish that. So what are you doing every single day to nourish your relationship with eating food and exercise? Are you telling yourself, oh, I didn't go to the gym today or I have to go to the gym? That's a horrible relationship. That's a horrible conflict. Or I have to choose the right foods today. And when you eat the meal, you're like, oh, I feel so guilty. I ate that. That's a horrible relationship. Like, what are you doing every single moment around something that is such a blessing in your life? Like this article says, is hunger. So moving on really quick to something else that she said that was kind of an aha moment for me. I think I love that we kind of had both like different aha moments because that kind of shows like where people are and just all the things that we're experiencing every day is that emotional eating is a coping mechanism. We're told it's an unhealthy habit. One we must break, but that's another wellness lie. So stopping to stop judging yourself for quote unquote, I'm not even going to say quote unquote, emotional eating. 
Like if you're tired, if you're emotional, if you're sad, if you're stressed. Now, I'm not saying that we have to make ourselves unhealthy, but just recognizing that our, we are smart humans. And when we're sad, we want to feel good and we want to soothe. It's like our basic need is to soothe. That's why we have addiction problems. That's why we have eating disorders. That's why things like this exist is because you're trying to soothe yourself as a human. And I love that she just kind of recognized that like that is a coping skill and that's a coping mechanism. And we're going to do that. And if you just get caught in that cycle of shame and hiding it and feeling like, oh, I just did this. I feel so bad. Like you're not alone And that's just something that is like, you're just doing something that humans do. Here's what I started like, okay, so just to back up, I think, you know, when people hear, oh, it's a coping, a coping mechanism, the the concept of a coping mechanism automatically has negative connotations. And that, you know, you as a human should be so endlessly well adjusted, that you don't have to have any sort of coping mechanism for anything that you just take everything as it comes. You live in this like beautiful field where nothing bad ever happens. And when things that are, are bad happen, you can just cope with them and they just roll off your back and everything's fine. And then when you say, Oh, eating, you know, is you can be used as a coping mechanism. And, and then the next thing you say is like, and that's why we have addictions. That's why we have eating disorders. Everyone's like, yeah, see, if I use eating as a coping mechanism, that means I have an eating disorder. And I think Mm -mm. that, your, I'm not saying no, I'm no, not no. saying a I, plus no B I know you're C. not but I, I think yeah. that that's where people's minds go and that's why the thought of oh. it has been so like you know so giving it gives us anxiety to think about using food as a coping mechanism because then we think well if if I'm using food as a coping mechanism then that's a one-way street to an eating disorder and but I think then the next thing you said about like you know you have that shame around it and you then you start to hide it and then you start to be feel like you know bad like feel shame around it that's when it turns into or can turn into a bigger problem if you can just yeah or if it's like yeah and I mean truly if that's it's a coping mechanism I'm not saying it's the coping mechanism like you I think everyone and I would hope that if you're kind of confused about what that means like certainly you can email us and we can I can talk a little bit more about that too is like it is a coping mechanism and it's okay to be like you know what I had a real stressful day I'm gonna have a glass of wine that's a coping mechanism for me I recognize that it calms me down it feels great now it's something that I truly know in my mind that coping mechanisms can really take a turn. And that's not what we're talking about. I'm just saying like as humans, it is hardwired in us to feel stress and then want to get rid of that stress. And there's times when we need to cope with that. And all the breathing and meditation in the world is not going to fix us. Yeah. I, I I just want to kind of like really make sure people understand yeah. that. Piece. And I think I think about this like right now when I'm in, you know, the phase of my life that I'm in around like child behavior. And I know this is a little bit different because the way that our brains develop as infants is different than the way that our brains are, you know, used as adults. But I think about people who Mm -hmm. are like, oh, don't hold your baby too much or don't always, you know, feed them to sleep or don't always, you know, do X, Y, Z. Like if, if you, the big thing right now for me with Evie being about four months is like sleep training. And people say like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, babies start to form sleep associations that are on four months. And so if you are always holding her to fall asleep pretty soon, she's never going to be able to fall asleep unless you're holding her. And they like put the fear of God in you about, you know, don't hold your baby to go to sleep. It's like, you know what, guys? She's a baby. This is a normal thing to want to do. I am 31 years old and I like to be held as I fall asleep. And guess what? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I am incapable of falling asleep on my own. It means that it feels good and that it makes me feel, you know, that it's like a thing that I have that I can use to feel like if I have anxiety at night, that's a tool that I can use. It's not a necessity in my life for survival. And I think that, that that's like, so, you know, I just hear that a lot right now around child behavior and infants is like, oh, if, if you get in the habit of doing this, it's going to ruin them for the rest of their lives. No, no and it drives it's like, me guys, crazy. And then I get to deal with like the adolescents who were never right. soothed as kids. And I'm like, ah, that is, that's not a thing. <laughs> and I, but at the same time, like, guess what? We did cry it out with miles because at the time that's what yeah. we needed to do. And mm-hmm. so you got to do what you got to do in the time. But like, and in that same vein, the people who were like, well, if you do cry it out, your kid's never going to be able to form emotional attachments. Like, want to know what? Miles is like the most emotionally attached kid I know. <laughs> Seriously. And I like, want to just like put a thing out there too. Is just like, hey, everybody, yeah. you do you. If you want to, I mean, I've, 
I've ha- I have hundreds of friends yeah. with children and they have done everything. Every single type of different parenting. And guess what? Guess what? None of them are are serial killers. All their kids are fine. Netflix documentaries about our children. All my Mormon friends that when we were like 18 were having kids. Like it was, I was around all their big families. They had like five kids running around the house. Didn't pay attention. Left food on the table. They're fine. And I fine. Right. And I, <laughs> they are and I fine. make this comparison to say, you know, like, I think that we do tend, we've been taught to think in absolutes around our relationships with food and around our food behavior. And, yeah. oh, well, if you do this, then, you know, your metabolism, if you skip a meal, then your metabolism is going to go into starvation mode. Oh, and, my God. But Ugh, there's so many rules. So many there's rules. way too and many they, rules. Like, and they this contradict. is the, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt you, but like the thing that came up for me when I was reading this, I was like, I just want to screw all the rules. And I just don't like my whole ever since reading this, I'm like, I don't even care about rules anymore. I know what makes me feel good. I'm not going to worry about it. I and this is not an overnight thing. I'm not simplifying this by any means for myself, but just like in terms of so many rules, you have to eat this kind of food, you have to eat this kind of diet. And I think that's why I get so I romanticize cooks and chefs and people who have these gourmet restaurants and and explore all different types of flavors and tastes and senses because I'm like, that to me is pleasure in life is to allow the body to experience taste. Taste is a beautiful thing. Smell is a beautiful thing. We get to taste and we get to smell. And why wouldn't it's a way of experiencing life and joy and experiencing life and joy and living life and joy. And it's just like, no, I agree with you. And I think, freaking yeah, freaking industry. Blah, 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 blah. well, and I think too, it's like you, when you have that many rules and you say, I just am like, I want the rules to go away again. I think people automatically think like, well, if there are no rules, then, you know, it becomes this like my own internal diet, Lord of the flies. And there's no order. Totally. And it's like, yeah. That's what we've and been I taught to that's believe. What people and she are, even says yeah. that in her article. It says, finally, wellness also contributes to the insulting cultural subtext that women cannot be trusted to make decisions when it comes to our own bodies, even when it comes to nourishing them. We must adhere to some sort of quote unquote program or we will go off the rails. And I think so many people truly believe that. They truly 100 percent. They truly believe because I and I was one yeah. of them. Because you know why? Because I was restricting myself. So when I was restricting myself, I was like, but if I don't follow this, I'm going to go off the rails. Well, guess what? Because I was freaking starving. And so I wanted to go off the rails because my body was like, please eat. And of course, you're going to feel that way. I, I would I would argue that if you're feeling that way, it's because you're restricting yourself. And once I took the time and really was like, you know what? My body wants to do this. I, I know my body by now. I, I know what it likes and I know what it doesn't like. I know the weight that it, that it feels best at and it stays right there. And so I don't have that feeling anymore of that fear of like, quote unquote, going off the rails because there is just that I've found, well, still work in progress, but I've found somewhat of a ground where I'm like, I just don't have that feeling of like fear that you're just going to let yourself go, which is so silly to think that like, if you just let your body be the amazing machine that it is, it will not let you down. I promise. It's all the mindset that we have around this stuff, including when people are struggling with like binge eating or like people who I truly think like the the community of people who tend to do more overeating. I think that's kind of it's the same vein. It's not it's not a different camp. It's not a different camp. It's all the same. It really is. So we've talked a lot about this article. And I'd love to hear listeners viewpoints because I know you've read it. And if you haven't, I hope you read this uh, or if you pause the episode to read it or if you read it after this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you can email us at girlsgonewad at gmail.com. I think we're probably going to have a few more episodes around this article because it really is long. And maybe I'll email her and see if she wants to come on the show. I'd love to talk to her or if anyone knows her or knows a connection because she's amazing. And what she said was just really beautifully stated. Um, we'd love to hear if you disagree with the article. We'd love to hear your your points of view. I mean, like Claire and I said at the beginning of the episode, this is not something that's absolute. And while we've kind of talked about this over the years, and we struggled to talk about it because we feel like we're just kind of making, perpetuating the problem, it's pretty clear that this is something that really needs to be untangled. Yeah, and I think too, like at the beginning when I said, you know, if you feel offended or if your knee-jerk reaction to this is negative, like, you know, ask yourself why you're feeling that way. The subtext of me saying that isn't, 
that's invalid or that's the wrong way to think about it. Right. Not at all. Not at all. Like if you do feel that way, like that's super interesting because it's completely the opposite of the way that I reacted to that. And so I, I want you to think about that and pull that apart a little bit and let us know why you feel that way, why you feel like, you know, maybe you feel this is oversimplified. Maybe you feel that, you know, there's just more going on out there than just sort of letting, being able to let this go. And I Mm -hmm. totally get that. And I think my initial fear around posting this article were people saying like, you know, their own stories are so complicated with food that they cannot see themselves in this article. That her journey around like, you know, let's just get back to a place of intuitive eating and let's, you know, stop talking about our bodies and let's just let it go. And I don't have to love my body. If that too feels like, but I really want to love my body. Like why I don't want to, you know, have to let go of that expectation. Like why can't I expect to be able to do that? You know, I think like those are a lot of the, I very quickly got over those speed bumps as we've been talking about that. I kind of, you know, was like, but I want to be able to love my body. But then I was like, but why? Why yeah. I want to open up space to love yeah. other things, whatever. I don't, I don't need to recap that again, but we're so curious yeah. about, you know, if you disagree with these things, where does that come from? Well, I also think of, I always think about too, which I still feel like we don't do a great job of, of being inclusive of all races, genders, and political viewpoints of all the things that we're talking about. So I think it's really important for people to chime in. We are not the end all be all. We have our lens from our experiences. And this article is written by a beautiful white woman. And so, you know, what is the lens that we're talking about this from two white girls? And so I think that that's something I'm always thinking about as well. So yeah, I just thank you guys for hanging in there with this really heated. Well, at least for me, it felt heated, heated in the term in the sense of I just felt really emotional about this and kind of look forward to having more discussions around it because it certainly opened up my eyes to just kind of how awful I've been, how awful I've been to myself that I didn't really recognize. But once she said a lot of these things, I'm like, wow, I still still have some work to do. So that's it for this week. All right, guys. (laughs) Go read the article. Send us an email. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Meet us back next week. Let's go have some froze. It's time. I mean, we need some, I'm going to have some wine. I'm going to go have some grilled chicken. I am actually going to go have grilled chicken because it sounds good. Okay, bye guys. Have a great week.